There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. Hello, everyone. You're listening to This Week at VA. I'm your host, Timothy Lawson. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. I've been scheduling some more interviews to release in the future, but before I get too deep into these uh, into these episodes, we've already had, this is number 30, so we have 29 in the bag. I like to do a little best of, if I may, some segments that I want to uh, sort of spotlight that really represent um, the quality of interviews and personalities we've had here on the show. We've been really fortunate uh, to have some amazing veterans uh, on the podcast. So um, I'm going to play four clips from the more popular episodes or the more listened to episodes that we've had thus far. Uh, we'll hear from Kayla Williams, Bill Roush, John Lee Dumas, and Jared Lyon. So uh, first up, Kayla Williams talking to us uh, about her deployment to Iraq. I did. I took part of the initial invasion of Iraq in 2003 as part of the 101st Airborne Division Air Assault under then General Petraeus, yeah. who you may have heard of. Oh, yeah. He went on to have a. I'm, a, a I'm fairly, familiar with the name. Yes, yeah. yeah his, his career continued after that deployment. Um, and if you don't mind sharing, what was your experience mm-hmm. like on that deployment? So I was in the Army during the You Go to War with the Army You Have era. And also the era when women were technically barred from direct ground combat arms, jobs, and units by policy. So because of that policy leading to the expectation that women would not be in combat, uh, and the fact that there wasn't enough equipment to go around, I wasn't issued plates for my flak vest. There also were not enough Arabic speakers to go around. And so I went on combat foot patrols with the infantry in Baghdad with no plates no in, kidding. My, in my flak vest the first couple times. Eventually we figured out like, maybe I should borrow at least a front plate from somebody who isn't going out this particular day. That was the most rewarding part of my military career, getting to go out with the infantry and see the combat arms jo- guys doing their jobs and know immediately that I was making a difference. I had been trained to do signals intelligence where you we did intercept and direction finding on enemy communications, should there be any to intercept. And then you call up reports to hire who may or may not ever tell you if what you're reporting has led to any operational successes. So it often felt really, it was hard to know if you were making a difference in in the, the mission. But going out and translating between the local populace and the infantrymen, I knew at every moment that I was helping to accomplish the mission, that what I was doing mattered. I could feel it at every, uh, every point of those experiences. And that was really deeply, deeply rewarding, even though it was incredibly hard and sometimes very scary. And I had the worst 
experience of my deployment when I translated while we provided medical assistance to um, some locals who had been injured when unexploded ordnance went off and one didn't survive. So that was a, an incredibly traumatic and very, very difficult experience, but at the same time still with this knowledge that my presence had mattered, yeah. that I made a difference. And that sense of, of purpose and meaning and knowing that it was, uh, that I was, I was using the training that I had gotten, that was all really, really powerful. You can also laugh that it took until my you know, mid-20s to learn this, but it was also really important for me to, for the first time in my life, truly, genuinely understand how it takes everyone to accomplish any military mission and how important different skill sets are. So speaking Arabic, it's not easy to learn. There's a sense of like, oh, I'm doing something that's, that's hard. And being in Iraq, realizing it doesn't matter if I speak Arabic, if my truck won't run and I can't get to where I need to be. Yeah. The mechanic matters. It doesn't matter if I speak Arabic, if I starve because I don't have any food, yeah. the supply guys matter. And I'm only here to support the infantrymen. So really getting a sense of that ecosystem and how important it is for everybody to do what they've been trained to do, to come together as a team. And the fact that my particular type of intelligence or you know the job I'd been trained to do doesn't matter at all without everybody else being there and, and working together. That was a really important lesson that I've taken with me and I try to teach my own kids now. You know, yeah. I take them with me to the mechanic if I get an oil change. Look, this is a car doctor. He makes our car keep running. He matters. Yeah. Uh, so I really want to convey that lesson to my own kids that uh, there is no job that's shameful. We need everybody to do their jobs. We need. We don't want garbage piling up the streets, so we need garbage men, like, right? We need everybody to to do uh, different jobs, even if they don't look appealing from the outside. They're all really important. The next segment is going to be Jared Lyon, who is the president of Student Veterans of America, who talks about how student veterans succeed at their universities and the value that they bring to that community. So most of us, when we come back to school as student veterans, we are like the uber non-traditional students. Um, you know, most of us uh, are going to be, it doesn't come as any shock, but over the age of 25, about half of veterans, uh, student veterans nationwide are, are married when they go to school. Some, you know, 46% have children when we go back to school, 14% of which are single parents. 46%, it's that high. Huh? Yeah, wow. yeah. And so, um, and uh, and about about half of us are working full time when we're back in school. Some 25% are working part time. So, so this notion that the GI Bill is a quote unquote free ride, uh, you know the GI Bill is is, is designed for uh, sort of a like a 22 year old single male or female with no dependents. And if you're that, I mean the GI Bill, yes, you could probably do it. But if you're an older student veteran uh, compared to your traditional counterparts, and you have family obligations or just even a car payment and a cell phone bill and those types of things, like you're you're kind of paying your own way. Uh, the GI Bill is a wonderful benefit, but certainly not a free ride. And so the opportunity is to come to a campus. Uh, and engage with other student veterans because uh, we've learned through research that uh, when you come to a college campus, uh, the number one predictive factor uh, that I can uh, find that says whether or not you're likely to reach graduation 
is, is not access to financing, is not tutoring services, uh, is not cultural competency, uh, is not even course sequencing, right? All those things play factors into it, uh, but a student that has this one thing is three times more likely to graduate than any other one thing. A community. It, uh, a friend on campus. A, a friend community. on campus. Exactly. Okay. And from that first friend is the next friend and then yeah. a community and that network. Um, you can look at, you know, wonderful concepts that are, are more recently like Sebastian Younger with Tribe or, mm -hmm. you know, all these concepts I think resonate with us. But that's your opportunity is, is to find your community of, of folks when you get to a campus so that you're not doing college alone. Like you're doing it with a group of other folks who kind of get you. Your jokes are sort of funny, but it's also that great way to assimilate to your new environment. I always make the joke to a new student veteran that you know a lot of us uh, in the post 9/11 era have had the uh, have had the opportunity to deploy overseas, and before one deploys, no one ever sits you down and says, "Hey, brother, hey, sister, make sure that when you get there, you stick out like a sore thumb." That's not the advice that anyone's given. <laughs> right. You know, uh, it's this concept. Make sure of, you wear your Oakleys right, and your tactical yeah. cargo it's, pants. It's the digi backpacks a must. Those, those <laughs> yeah, high and tight is like the standard issue for every yeah. student veteran, right? Um, and that's a gender neutral high and tight. But uh, no, of course not. This is almost just silly, right? Yeah. Um, the idea, the same advice pertains that, that 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 when you come to a new culture, you find that way to assimilate to that new culture. And there's your opportunity when engaging with a student veteran chapter is to take the blinders off and build that community. The opportunity is something that, uh, that almost shocked me when I learned it. But this is the first time in American history where one in three college students that are on a campus today state that they know a veteran firsthand. Huh. Uh, so that means that you know two-thirds of them, uh, no one in their family served, shoot, no one in their neighborhood served. Yeah. So you have an opportunity as a veteran when you come back to campus and you become a student veteran to really help bridge that, uh, that concept of the civilian-military divide because you know when you come to a college campus, you're surrounded primarily by civilians. And you know a funny thing about civilians? Guess what they don't call themselves? Civilians. Civilians, right? Yeah. And like, so we even use some of those language and words matter, right? And yeah. so when you have this opportunity uh, to come to a campus and engage with those student veterans, I feel you almost have an obligation uh, to show uh, the value uh, of the all-volunteer force uh, to a new generation that's coming up. Because here's the big picture. 10 years from now, if you're a student veteran on a college campus, 10 years from now, who are the hiring managers 10 years from now? People with a college degree or people without a college degree? It's likely to be people with a college degree. Well, that's a traditional student who's probably 19 or 20 on a college campus sitting in your classroom. And you have, uh, I dare say, an obligation to make sure that they're not dependent on um, you know, the news media or something they saw in a movie or maybe a stereotype of a veteran. You know, they, they get to know you personally as a, as a, as a fellow uh, student at AU. Uh, they, they realize, hey, maybe you got a beard now or, uh, or maybe you're a woman who was an MP and it's like, I don't even know what an MP is. Could I, could I have a conversation about that? They get to know you as a person, a fellow student, and a veteran. And it really gives this wonderful opportunity, and that's where I say we have a, an obligation as student veterans, to help other students on campus know us as you know, these amazing, civically engaged, outstanding leaders on our campus and in our communities, and really in our nation. And, and that is something uh, that I think as a student veteran, you have such a great opportunity and an obligation uh, to, to come back and engage. This third clip is going to come from my interview with Army veteran John Lee Dumas, the host of Entrepreneur on Fire. And John 
talks about why he chooses the VA down in Puerto Rico. And I thought this is significant because uh, like some of the other veterans on my show, John has experienced a lot of success in his professional life uh, with a booming business and in other aspects of his life. And um, it's I think it's important to point out that um, the VA is for everybody of every level of uh, of need. And when John has health care needs, he chooses the VA over uh, any private sector options. I think it is worth listening to again. There's a lot of veterans in Puerto Rico, like a lot. And there's one great, um, huge um, VA medical center uh, right south of San Juan. And it's as good equivalent to any that I've actually been to. And I've been to a lot. You know, I've been to the La Jolla in San Diego, um, VA, to the um, one in Augusta, Maine, to the one in Boston. I've been to a lot of VA centers. And this one is, is as good um, as any of them and, and incredibly well run. And I feel very great and comfortable walking into it. And then plus there's eight other outpatient clinics throughout the island. So the the San Juan is where I have to go for all, all of my major things. You know, like I uh, have a rheumatologist and, you know, if I need to go get like a sonogram or something. Um, but there is an outpatient one uh, and, and and that's about 50 minutes away. But there is an outpatient one at Seba, which is a 25-minute drive. And it's, you know, that's where my primary care doctor is. So I can go there for just a little checkups and stuff. So it's been a great experience. Um, I've, I've really been impressed with my, my the level of doctor care and just the overall quality of the VA experience in Puerto Rico. So even after all of this success, why do you still, why do you continue to go to the VA? I trust it. I trust the VA. And frankly, my trust in the VA is, is higher than it would be for any other medical facility, whether I still be in San Diego or Maine or Boston, anywhere else. Like I just trust the VA. I know that they you know, pay their doctors and staff incredibly well. I know it's a very desired position and it shows. So I, I, I honestly had initial trust in the VA system when I got out because of my great experience with TRICARE, et cetera, um, when I was in the military and they've done nothing to shake that trust. It's always been a great experience and I just feel very comfortable, um, living in that world. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's people in the audience that are probably that probably haven't had the best experience, maybe rolling their eyes. So I have to also ask, is there the final sound bite I have is from what is probably one of my favorite conversations that I've had here on the podcast. Um, I think actually all these sound bites represent my fa- uh, my favorite conversations, but um, the, we got a lot of great feedback on this one with Bill Roush, and um, this soundbite comes from an answer that he gave when I was reminding him of when I walked into his office and saw his bronze star on the wall, um, or I, I'm sorry, when I walked in and told him I was going to look around and look around at the things on his wall, he sort of shrugged it off as like, all right, well, there's nothing much very interesting there. Uh, but there was a bronze star on the wall and I wanted, uh, I sort of wanted to, um, get him to sort of explain, um, why he had that response when he has this prestigious award. Bill goes into talking about sort of how he looks at himself as a veteran and as someone who has served and how Bill looks at himself as someone who has done 
some more compared to others, but not enough compared to some, uh, which I think is interesting. Well, here's the beauty. I, I, I'm not into editing. I'm okay. into transparency. Okay. And check this out. Because what people should know listening is that there are a lot of things hanging on my wall. And there's also a picture of Bob McDonald, uh, who's an Army veteran, at our, the launch of our Veterans Civic Health Index. And I mention that because I think that he has given the best answer to the question you just asked. And we were at the launch of our Veterans Civic Health Index last year, and we were at Sirius XM Radio, and Jared Rizzi asked a question about you know, veterans and whether we uh, view each other differently, whether there are categories of veterans like special forces versus yeah. you know big army, and you know Bob and he he said this several times, um, but I think it answers your questions about you know when when you asked me about my Bronze Star and I didn't give you much of an answer. I think um, I think there's uh, a degree of guilt that um, humans have, not veterans but humans. You know my father. Uh, didn't serve in the army. I told I mentioned that earlier. I know he has a degree of guilt that he did not volunteer and go to Vietnam. And I mean, to be clear, he didn't run to Canada. He didn't, you know, he he was he was a a a, a big strong man uh, who grew up in a small town. And circumstances were that he didn't go to Vietnam. And he feels guilty about that. Hmm. And you know what? Uh, Bob McDonald talked about how he felt guilty he didn't go to war. Another time, uh, Bob was saying how he felt guilty he didn't go to combat. And I remember sitting with him and Will Reynolds, who uh, is an amputee and a buddy of mine, classmate of mine at West Point, we, we, we took plebe drowning together because we were like two of the worst swimmers in our class. We literally drowned together when we were 18 and 19. It was awesome. I feel guilty that I didn't give as much as Will did. Yeah. And so I think that's why I'm hesitant to uh, talk too much about it because part of the reason why I wanted to go back to Baghdad and sometimes the, you know, the reason I still want to go back, even though I've found this new purpose and I believe there are opportunities all around us, um, I feel like I you know, should go back and give more. Yeah. I feel like I could have given more. And I know that sounds silly, but man, you know, in 17 months is a long time, but there were guys and gals who did 17 days and gave the ultimate sacrifice. So that's the other piece, too, is, is uh, you know, the friends that, that we had who didn't come home. Uh, I had the CCO, uh, Dan, Dan Schreibner, he's from Michigan. I'm a Ohio guy, right? So, you know, beat Michigan. Man, this guy was great. When I was a young lieutenant, he helped me work on a, I had an old Bronco, too, uh, that my grandfather used to deliver mail in, and Dan, you know, would show me how to, how to do some things on it and tinker with it. And, he had a wife and two kids, man. And he was doing left seat, right seat uh, up in northern Iraq, and he got blown up like two weeks before he we went home. I mean, shit, I didn't give as much as Dan did. Uh, so I think that's the piece that is unique. And it's not a veteran thing, it's a human thing. Yeah. Where, you know, we feel guilt and we say, man, I should have done more. The other piece to it, though, I think is, is and especially with for vets who, who are struggling with that, because I know... I struggle less with it now, but the other piece to it is, you know, they gave, especially folks who gave the ultimate sacrifice, man, they gave it for a reason. And 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 you can be altruistic, say, oh, they gave it for the country and for freedom, and yeah, okay, I, I'll buy that. They also gave it to us. They yeah. gave it to for you, for me, for Corporal Roberts, right? Um, 
for guys and gals they knew. And I think that's that's a pretty daggone good motivator to be like, you know what? I got to get off, get up off the sofa, man. What would TK do, right? Uh, uh, what would Heinze do? What would these guys and gals do? Uh, and I think the answer is they get up off their ass and they get back to work. And that's a question we've got to ask ourselves. What's next? Um, and so I think that's that. I think that's just the nature of life. I'm, I'm going to shut up now because I, I feel like I, I feel confident enough that I answered the question. Yeah. But that's it, man. All right. Well, that wraps up episode 30, the first best of episode, or uh, as I believe the blog post is titled, uh, the meritorious segments. Uh, I called it that because I'm a uh, cheesy military guy. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and uh, I hope that some of these uh, remind you of the the value that veterans bring to our community, and uh, how powerful their their stories and their contributions and their and their perspectives are. Um, if there's if there's segments or sound bites or interviews uh, for the first 29 episodes that, uh, that you think uh, should also get an honorable mention, uh, just let me know. Uh, you can email us newmedia at va.gov or tweet us at DEPT Vet Affairs and use hashtag VA Podcast. Uh, and I will also address any questions you may have that you'd like to have address um, have mentioned here on the podcast. You can use those same channels to contact us. We'll be back with the normal format uh, and an interview-based podcast next week. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. 